Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3, good morning. It's me, Danko, with you on Your Money. Now, let's quickly get you up to speed with what's happening in the markets. The Asia Pacific stocks are trading mixed this morning, with Australia leading the way up by 1.45%. Korea is up slightly by 0.03%. And Japan is in the water. 0.88%. Now, overnight on Wall Street, stocks snapped its four-day looting streak, putting the little wean back into hopes that perhaps there might be a Santa Claus rally towards the end of the year. During the regular session, the Dow rose nearly 0.3% to 32,849 points. The S&P 500 climbed 0.1% to finish off at 3,821 points. And the Nasdaq Composite rose about 0.01% to end off at 10,547 points. Thank you, Dan, for that quick update. Now, Dan isn't the only one in the studio. We've also got Ryan Huang standing by on hand to take a deep dive into market view. But before we touch base with Ryan, Dan, let's turn our attention to the earnings front. Nike had reported its earnings last night. How did they perform and what does it suggest about how it's set to perform in 2023? Mm, that's right. Nike reported quarterly results last night that easily topped Wall Street's expectations while raising its outlook as the company touted its success in clearing through its hefty inventory pile. In fact, stocks of Nike surged more than 12% in after-trading hours. And this comes after the company reported net income for the first three-month period ended November 30th. That was $1.33 billion, or 85 cents per share. And that's compared with $1.34 billion, or 83 cents per share. That's from a year earlier. So Nike reported this revenue of $13.32 billion, and that's up 17% from a year earlier. Considering the strong performance, Nike CEO Matt Friend said that on the earnings call, that the company now sees its revenue growing for the full fiscal year. And over the past three quarters, Nike has beaten Wall Street's expectations, but like many retailers, they have struggled with inflated inventory levels that arose from supply chain disruptions, rising consumer demand and unpredictable in transit shipping timings. The company also saw a 10% year-on-year uptick in selling and administrative expenses to $4.1 billion. That's mostly led by advertising and marketing costs and investment in Nike Direct as the company continues to move away from wholesalers. While the focus on Nike Direct was largely to be blamed for the increased administration administrative expenses. The investment has actually paid off because Nike Direct sales were up 16% for the quarter at $5.4 billion and digital sales were up by 25%. In fact, Nike Nike executives said that the record growth in the brand's digital membership platform as the key reason behind the online sales jump. Shoppers who became members were able to also take advantage of several Black Friday and Cyber Monday promotions as well. But, you know, there's one spot that we have to look at and that's China because Nike sales in China in its third biggest market by revenue, they dropped by 3% and that's compared to last year, continuing a trend that the retailer had been contending with as the country deals with 
lingering COVID lockdowns and slowdown in retail spending as well. But overall positive news here and certainly a bright spot to look at amid this economic uncertainty. Now let's bring in Ryan to this conversation and just check with him. Ryan, what does China's reopening of its economy mean for Nike and will it be enough to address their elevated inventory levels? Yeah, it's massive for Nike because China as a market is its most profitable market. And if you look at how much revenue it brings in for Nike, it is the third biggest market by revenue. And that was down 3% compared to last year. So that continues the trend of how things have been playing out in China as that country continues to grapple with COVID-19 issues, even though restrictions have been eased up. COVID-19 cases are still going up. So that's something that they will have to contend with. Um, Also look at the margin pressure. Nike's gross margin fell 300 basis points to 42.9%. And that is because of those elevated inventory levels because they need to liquidate it. it. And in most cases, it means promotions, discounts, and that all eats into margins. So even though they are bringing in more revenue, it is at a... Um, lower profit margin. So that's something to take into account. And they also have been raising their marketing spend to bring in more shoppers. Mm. So that is also something to take into account. So all that is going to offset any increase in the pickup in China when it does come. Of course, that will be something to look forward to when they do uh, start to come back in terms of demand for Nike products. Right. Are you guys a fan of Nike products? Yeah, I've done my fair bit for Nike. I bought a few <laughs> Nike shoes during my time in holiday. And in fact, it was my birthday over the past weekend and I received a pair of Nike shoes. But again, nice. small ripple in the big pond that is the <laughs> Nike market, I guess. What about yeah, you, right? Not so much for me. I am one who still wears shoes even though they might have holes. <laughs> <laughs> so... I would probably not be the ideal Nike customer. I can assure you Ryan's shoes do not have holes. I'm looking at it right (laughs) now. I'm wearing the good pair today. (laughs) Dan, what are your thoughts on Nike? Nike is great and I think it appeals to the crowd. It appeals to the right crowd. And I would say that, you know, for me, I'm a little bit of a sneakerhead as well. Mm. So I think coming up with a lot of different new, new limited edition shoes, it does drive the market and the demand. So I think even as, you know, costs go up, the demand is is there to push it up further. That sneakerhead uh, term you mentioned, is quite interesting and something I'd like to follow up on because there are some people who are fairly crazy about shoes out there mm. spending money I mean I mentioned spending some money they spend exorbitant amounts on shoes and it'd be an interesting conversation to have but anyway moving on another company making news over in the US is FedEx and we are seeing some positive news here too Dan break it down for us Yes, that's right. FedEx shares were up more than 3% in after trading hours. And this is because of their recent earnings call, which they revealed that you know, earnings per share was at $3.18 versus a $2.82 estimated by analysts. However, revenue was, you know, $22.8 billion and that's compared to $23.74 billion previously. Despite, you know, earnings per share bidding estimates, FedEx net income fell about $788 million in the three months ended November 30th and that's down from $1.04 billion a year earlier. The company also posted particular weakness in its express unit with operating income in the segment that's down 64% from last year. FedEx ground operating income rose 24% from last year and FedEx freight operating income increased 32% year over year and all three units were held by higher yields. You know, they are now forecasting that their full year earnings per share of between 
$13 to $14, and that's shy of analysts' expectations of about $14.08 per share. The company, you know, if we take a broader look at the company and how its shares has been performing this year, the shares are down about 36% as of yesterday, and that's compared with S&P 500's roughly 20% decline. So as you can see, the stock contrast between the two stocks. So yes, the company also announced that it will be cutting $1 billion more in costs after weak demand ate into quarterly profit. And by being able to cut another $1 billion beyond what it forecast in September, it will be able to bring the total fiscal 2023 savings to about $3.7 billion. And that's compared with its earlier plan for the year. Now, most of the additional cuts will stem from FedEx Express units such as additional flight cuts and other cuts may include adjustments in the ground unit and pickup and delivery as well. Now, the company has also reduced US domestic flight hours by 6% and international by 7% so far this year. But by the end of the year, FedEx says that it expects to park additional 11 aircraft, mostly white body planes as well. So yes, certainly something to look at. A lot of cost savings here by FedEx, especially amid this economic uncertainty. Now, Ryan, what do you make of this fall in net income? And, you know, having considered FedEx as a bellwether for global economic growth, what does this indicate about our expectations for next year? Yeah, FedEx is one of those companies that has its finger in many pies when it comes to different sectors, right? It's an indication of where things are going because everyone uses to some extent the courier company to ship goods across the world so when it's in trouble facing headwinds it's a reflection of the wider economy Mm. a couple of things to take into account when you look at FedEx's numbers one is how it's also a victim of the boom times in COVID-19 so numbers that is now reporting are now benchmarked against the high numbers it got back in the earlier years during the peak of COVID-19. So we are talking about how people were avoiding stores. So Mm. e-commerce was really booming. Everyone's trying to ship stuff. And you also have the disruptions in supply chains. So those ships that were stuck in traffic jams in the seas and the ports, people turned to airplanes. So FedEx was benefiting from those boom times and is now starting to see that unwind. Mm. To some extent, it's managed to offset the drop in volume with higher pricing and now it's trying to offset that with what you talked about the cost cutting measures Mm. so I think it is a factor of expectations being managed by FedEx so Mm. investors are looking forward to cost savings coming through from the cost cuts and that is now with the additional $1 billion going to make it $3.7 billion for next year so in some sense it will benefit Shareholders, and I think that's why that's one reason why its share price is going up after it announced those measures and its results. Mm, certainly, good things to look at because yes, it's like what you said—the the surge in the uh, delivery, especially over the aircraft. FedEx definitely benefited from that, but we're seeing some moderation in that as well. Now, Ryan, with the two earnings that we've you know talked about the past few minutes, would this be would they be enough to trigger a Santa Claus rally? I am quite cautious about saying anything that might not be playing out the way it should because uh, on the fr- on the on the surface of things it looks like good news and when you look at the markets these days the headlines that we're reading it's pretty much gloom and doom mm. so on that front any good news 
could be enough to just drive markets higher. But at the same time, the news that seems to be weighing on markets does not seem to end. You've got the BOJ surprising markets. You've got concerns about a recession continuing to pick up. We've got downgrades to some forecasts for the economy. And the China COVID-19 cases continue to be picking up. And that continues to lend confusion to investors. So it's quite a noisy close to 2022. Mm. On average, we should see a Santa Claus rally. So I wouldn't rule it out, but I'm not looking for a spectacular bounce. I like that turn of phrase, noisy close to 2022. I think a lot of investors would agree as well. You touched on it there, the Bank of Japan. That's exactly where we're going next because they are making headlines for its latest bond yield shift. Dan, what can you tell us about this latest shift and how are the global markets reacting to it? Mm, Bank of Japan unexpectedly widened their target range for their 10-year Japanese government bond yields and they caught markets off guard by tweaking its yield curve control policy to allow the yield on the 10-year government, the 10-year Japanese government bond to move 50 basis points either side of its 0% target and that's up from 25% points previously in a move aimed at cushioning the impact and effects of protracted monetary stimulus measures. So, it's like what you said, you know, the it actually surprised the, the global markets overnight and this actually sparked a further sell-off in bonds as well as stocks all around the world. In a policy statement, the BOJ also said that the move was intended to quote-unquote improve market functioning and encourage a smoother formation of the entire yield curve while maintaining accommodative financial conditions. The central bank also introduced its yield curve control mechanism back in September 2016 with the intention of lifting inflation towards its 2% target after a prolonged period of economic stagnation and ultra-low inflation. The BOJ has always been an outlier compared with most major central banks and, you know, because they have also left its benchmark interest rate unchanged at negative 0.1% and vowed to significantly increase the rate of its 10-year government bond purchases, retaining its ultra-loose monetary policy stance. In contrast, other central banks around the world are continuing to hike rates and tighten monetary policy aggressively in an effort to rein in sky-high inflation. So, a completely different picture we're seeing over in Japan. With that being said, Ryan, were you surprised by the BOJ's latest move and would you say that markets were overreacting to the news? Yeah, I think I was pretty much in the same camp as with most people. Surprised by a BOJ because for many meetings and for you know, many times you expecting the BOJ to stay put with the status quo and not do anything that might shake up markets. Mm. And we've seen how the yen has weakened to its weakest levels and over 30 years as a result of those policies. And what it did yesterday was very significant in terms of at least signals. And you talk about the headline, which was doubling its upper limit to 0.5% from 0.25% for the 10-year bond yields. So effectively, it's a signal that it might be paving the way for tighter monetary policy. And the Bank of Japan has been for a long time pretty much anchoring those low borrowing costs for many investors, borrowing from Japan and doing the carry trade elsewhere. So that is now going to mean things may change in time to come because those borrowing rates are going to change. Um, so something to look out for when it comes to unwinding some of these investments. And I think there are two things I am looking out for here. One of them is how 
the Bank of Japan and many Japanese investors are major players in US and European debt. So with the prospects of bond yields going up in Japan, it might incentivize many of these Japanese investors to bring money back home to Japan from elsewhere, mm. which means selling what they have elsewhere, which means markets there will see the result of a sell-off. And then conversely, Japanese markets might benefit from that. So that's right. something to look out for. And the other one to look out for is the Japanese yen, which is now seeing in reaction a jump in its strength. It's mm. up more than 3% against the US dollar. And that is its largest one-day gain in 34 years. Wow. So that's a big jump. Of course, we have to take the things into account. It's been going down for quite some time. So mm. it's a bit of a relief rally of sorts. So that's playing out for um, in terms of reactions when we look at the surprise uh, decision. So when you look at how that is um, playing out, it is potentially going to have more ripple effects. Uh, but it's very divided right now because it is not very clear in terms of um, the direction at least because uh, the Bank of Japan governor Haruko Kuruda said this is not a tightening move. So Mm. he is making it very vague even though some market watchers are saying hey this is potentially going to pave the way for a an eventual exit but fundamentally nothing has changed yet Uh, it's also worth noting he has until April which means two more policy meetings before he passes on his seat to the next BOJ governor Mm. so any further changes to policy effectively the normalization of the BOJ policy will be left to the next governor so that could also change depending on how the next BOJ governor sees the market. Uh, So it is um, still up in the air where things go for the BOJ, but still quite significant in terms of policy setting potential changes. Mm, mm, mm. Now, certainly something we'll be keeping our eyes peeled on. Now, if you're just joining us, welcome along Money FM 89.3. It is a Wednesday and it is Market View. Dan Ko and Ryan Huang together with me, Ziao Raushan, bringing you up to speed with everything you need to know. We've touched on Nike, we've touched on FedEx, and we've touched about BOJ making the headlines. Let's now bring it back home. We are currently about 26 minutes into the local trading day. And yesterday, the Straits Times Index closed lower by 0.0. 0.8% to end at 3,253 points. Dan, how is the STI performing today? Yes, so the SCI is actually performing up, you know, as compared to what we ended on yesterday. The We are up by 0.05% and the Street Times Index is currently trading at 3,255 points. Okay, thank you so much for that. Now it's time to play up or down, regular listeners of the show. It's your time to play with us as well. Dan and Ryan will be contributing to this. I'll be picking a stock or a topic and both of them will be guessing whether it's an up or down. Dan and Ryan, are you ready? Let's go. What's the prize today? Oh, is the Christmas is in the air, so we expect surprise. Dan will get back to you on that one. Let's, We've got presents. <laughs> Dan might give you some Nike shoes. Let's start. Golden Agri, Dan. Golden Agri Resources. I'm going to go with an up 
for that because the world expects to record a fair value loss of about $230 million for the fourth quarter ending December 31st. The palm oil company is still expecting to be profitable in Q4 for the full financial year. So that's something I'll be looking forward to and up for me. Ryan? Yeah, pretty much uh, what you said and we've seen how the economy to some extent has been moderating. So that is something else I am a bit cautious of, those prospects of uh, recession, you know, just possibly weighing on demand down the road. So I am going just a slide up. Mm. Okay, next one, Hotel Properties Limited. Ryan, why not you go first? All right, I am going with up because it's in the headlines for selling all seven of his shop units in the seven-story freehold main arcade. So it's all part of a collective sale to Roy Hiranandini under the Royal Grove Company. So all in, uh, it is to the tune of $61 million in terms of gains. Hmm. I'm going to go with an up for this as well because, yeah, it's like what Ryan mentioned, the gains that the board is going to receive leaves it, that it is the best interest for the group and that shareholders will will be able to unlock the underlying value and realize mm. its investments in the commercial units. So, up for me as well. Okay, both of you have been very friendly agreeing on the picks. Thus far, the tiebreaker in at number three, a Neo. Dan? Neo, I'm going to go with a down for this one because Neo recently had their security breached. You know, hackers had breached its computer systems and accessed data on users and vehicle sales. And this is one of the latest hacking incidents to hit the global auto industry. And the hackers had sent an email to the electric car maker demanding $2.25 million worth of Bitcoin and claiming that they had its internal data. Mm. So currently, the company is now working with government authorities to investigate the data breach. So with that, not very good news, actually. So I'm going to go with it down. Ryan, do you agree? Mm, I will disagree. <laughs> well, for one thing, is now that a breach is declared and announced, I guess the worst is over. Mm. Uh, I am looking at another headline around Neo. It has bought an insurance brokerage firm to enhance its services. So this is interesting because it can now branch out into finance in some fashion. Mm. So I see that as an up for Neo. Okay, mm. finally, a disagreement between the both of you. Ryan Huang, thank you so much for joining Danco on Market View. We've enjoyed having you on. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.